Go ahead and take a seat. Pull out your Bibles. Take something that you can take notes with this morning. Amen. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 14 this morning. Great job this morning, Chase. Come on. Love it. I want to give a shout out to our uh, Antioch Kids staff real quick. Oh my gosh, they are so awesome. Man. That's like, I mean, a lot of people are crying, but it's okay. But I want to tell you, I mean, I know they're great and everything, but just from last week to this week, they were, they've been trying to make as much space for kids as we can, all things coronavirus considered and stuff, you know, if you've heard about that or not. But they're doing a great job making space for our kids. Last, last week we had, uh, thir- I think it was like something like 30 kids in Antioch Kids and 30 kids in service. So it was like, man, we got to make some space. So just between this week and last week, they expanded the capacity and moved things around. They got creative with classrooms, went from having space for like 30 kids to having space for, I think, a little bit over 40 kids. Like, how do you increase it like 33% in a week? With the same rooms, the same people, I was like, wow, way to go, team. So if your kids are back there, make sure you give them a shout when you pick them up today. Tell them thank you so much because they are doing a great job. Great job. All right, John 14. Uh, You got your notes out? Awesome. We're going to continue. We're going to continue a a series of of messages kind of talking about this word that God's given us for, for 2021. We've already discussed it quite a bit this morning, but this word from Exodus chapter 3, turn aside. Turn aside, and I'm excited to continue that this morning. I'm going to read one verse for us as we get started this morning, John 14. If you're there, say, I'm there. Way to go. John 14, verse 6, picking up the middle of a conversation. It's a verse, even if you haven't been in church much, I'm sure you've heard this one before. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, he's talking about one of his fathers. Jesus said to him, I am the way. In the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Does anybody love lazy rivers? To my lazy river people, don't be ashamed. Some of you are like, no, I want to go on vacation and like hike and stuff. And the rest of us are like, no, I want to go on the lazy river. <laughs> you know, I, I, who's like actually floated like a real river, not like a lazy river, but a lazy river, like a real river. It's super cool. It's pretty awesome. Super refreshing, right? That's why we like it. Chill. For some reason, it's like sitting in the sun is great. But then if you sit in the sun in the water, it's like even better. And then if you sit in the sun in the water while the water just kind of floats you around somewhere, it's like even better. <laughs> Praise the Lord for lazy rivers. Floating rivers is fun. Um, it's relaxing. It's, it's uh, sunbathing, which is always a good thing. You know, lazy rivers are great as long as they're not leading you towards a waterfall. Am I right? Yeah, I've seen those movies, you know, it's like the people just floating down the river or they're on a little fishing trip or something floating down the river and everything's great. And then they turn and come around the corner and you're like, oh shoot. Everybody's freaks out, right? It's like, oh no, everyone, this is not a lazy river anymore. Now we are not relaxing. This just became really intense. We've all seen the movie. Maybe you've been in that situation before. I don't know. But all of a sudden, this relaxing day at the river has turned incredibly urgent. 
Floating isn't going to work anymore. It is time to swim. It is time to kick. It is time to paddle. It is time to scream and be scared. It is time to get your feet kicking against the current you've been riding and get those feet onto solid ground. Am I right? I want to preach to you a message this morning, part two of our series, Turn Aside, kind of a long title, but the title for this morning's message is Following Jesus in a Post-Christian, Post-Modern Culture. Following Jesus in a Post-Christian, Post-Modern Culture. You are living today, right now, in a post-Christian, post-modern culture. The the culture that you um, live in inevitably impacts way more of you than you even realize. That's true for us. That's true for anybody who's ever been alive. When you live somewhere, there's a culture there, and that just kind of shapes you. It, it, It impacts you. You know it in some ways, but there's also a lot of ways that you don't know it. it. It shapes the way you see yourself, the way you see your life, the way you see the world around you. That's true for you, and it's true for me. Your worldview, the lens through which you automatically see everything, you know, your worldview, it's shaped by your culture, and your culture is shaped by your worldview. It goes both ways. This morning, I want to specifically talk about the culture piece of that dialogue between culture and worldview. Next week, we're going to start getting into worldview. A little bit. So what, what does this mean, though? What does it mean that we're living in a post-Christian and post-modern culture? I'm going to give you some definitions um, because I think it's easy to float words around sometimes. Well, let's, let's talk about what are we talking about? What do we mean when we say these things? First, a post-Christian culture. What does post-Christian culture mean? A definition that I looked up just for the sake of having a definition. It's one of those things that there's a lot of definitions for. That's why we're clarifying what we mean when we say it. But the definition I looked up, it said, it said the definition of a post-Christian culture is a culture in which Christianity has lost its monopoly on religion and setting cultural values and morals. There's a lot there, and you can have a nuanced opinion about some of those things, but okay, that kind of points us in the direction we're headed. A post-Christian culture means, by the title, at one point there was a Christian culture. If you want to be post-something, you got to be into something first, Right? Post, after, after Christian culture is what it means. It means that there was that and now we've moved on from that. There was a time when the Christian worldview and values were appreciated, when they were impactful. There was, there was cultural momentum towards some of these things. Not, again, blanketly, just track with me on the generalizations here. There was, a, there was a time when the, there was momentum toward Christian values, toward Christian morals. There was acceptance of these things. Being a Christian was not so much countercultural because Christianity was at least in a way valued by the culture. Obviously, again, these are broad strokes, but let's stick with it. Living in a post-Christian culture means that there was a time when Christianity was culturally accepted when Christianity was culturally valued, but now that time has passed. What does postmodern culture mean? Well, just like post-Christian saying after a Christian culture, postmodern is saying after a modern culture, not modern in the sense of like technology, but more philosophical values and morals and things like that. And so instead of getting into what modernism modernism is or was, we're just going to focus on the post part. So what is post postmodernism? Postmodernism is it's a again it's not a technology standpoint. 
or, or statement. It, it's a statement of kind of philosophy and, and sociology. And so as a philosophy and an attitude, postmodernism, postmodernism is marked by a handful of things. One of those things is an, it's marked by an attitude of skepticism. So like that's an inherent value. Just be skeptical of everything. Question everything. Kind of this big thought of what does it even mean to know? What, what can we even know? What does it mean to know? How do you know you know? Be skeptical of everything. Postmodernism comes with a rejection of, of grand narratives and grand ideologies. Like, so grand narratives, there's not, there's not one big story that we all fit into. We reject that idea that there's kind of one big story for all of us. There's not one ideology. There's not one system of values or morals that should apply to everybody. There's not, there's not blanketly good ideas that apply to everybody. There's no fundamental concept of, of human nature. There's, everything about us is conditioned. Everything about a person is conditioned. Therefore, everything about a person should be questioned because there's nothing blanketly true for all of us. Postmodernism holds to... Um, self-consciousness as an ultimate priority in life, not self-consciousness in the sense of I'm insecure, but the idea of being conscious of yourself. What that means is the, the, the ultimate knowledge in a postmodern culture is, the, is to know yourself, know the deepest you. The, the best thing you can ever know is who you really are. Self-actualization, it's, it's the ultimate goal. It's the ultimate accomplishment. Find out who you really are and be that true you. It, it holds to the, the, these concepts of, of self-referentiality, meaning everything only makes sense in reference to the self, to myself. Everything is measured. Everything is considered. Everything is evaluated, not on its, on its merits, but on, on how it relates to me. It's not so important what something is or isn't. It's not so important if something is or isn't true. It's not so important what a thing might be or might not be. That's not so important what something means or doesn't mean. What's important is what this thing is or isn't to me. What's important is whether this thing is or isn't true for me. What this thing means or doesn't mean to me, postmodern culture holds to epistemological relativism, moral relativism. So epistemological relative, relativism, or that epistemology is, is how do you find truth? So that's, guys, a big word for there's, there's, no, there's no blanket truths. There, there's no such thing as a universal truth or any universal truths. That's what epistemological relativism, relativism would say. And same thing with morals, moral relativism. There's, there's no morals that are relative, to, or that, that are true for everybody. What it's saying is truth and morals are all only contextual. So true, a true thing is only true in certain contexts. A true thing is only true to certain individuals. Or a true thing is only true in certain cultures. In a separate culture, that thing might not be true not just that thing, everything. And same thing with morals. Morals are only true in certain cultures at certain times and certain individuals, certain, you see, you see where I'm getting at? Everything is relative. There's nothing universal. It's all contextual. 
postmodernism as a, as a thought and a philosophy really started gaining momentum, especially in the West in the 1980s and 90s. What that means is that uh, for the last, it means that's the direction we've been headed for the last 30 or 40 plus years. Does that make sense? What that means is that's the direction we've been headed. So why are we talking about all this? The reason that it is important to understand all of this is because this is the direction and the momentum of our culture over the last 30 or 40 years. So, so if that's true, then what I'm saying about us living in a post-Christian, post-modern culture, it's not a prophetic statement about where we're headed. It's an observation about where we are right now. To boil all of this down, and these are bigger words than I usually say, that's for sure. But if you're feeling a little lost or whatever, let's just boil this down. So this is, these are all kind of the big words behind the stuff you hear and see every day. Live your best life. Live your truth. Your happiness is everything. Deconstruct everything. Live your dreams. Follow your heart. Follow the vibes. Be your true self. This is your year. <laughs> so everything I said before, it just kind of is the undergirding of that stuff that you see on Instagram every day. It's important for you to hear me say this. Post-Christian does not at all mean that the church is declining. Those are two very different things. Two very different things. Sometimes people conflate them to be the same, but those are two very different things. Christian culture might be declining, but as we already covered at length this last fall, the church is a problem. <laughs> the church is a problem. See, people and things are floating away. People and things and culture are floating away from Jesus, not because the anchor failed, but because they were never anchored in the first place. Jesus is doing great. Central America, South America, Africa, Asia, the Middle East, things are exploding. The church is growing. The gospel is spreading and thriving. I just, just this last week, I was on the phone with somebody and they were telling me about this thing that they're kind of involved in. And, and I think it was West Africa, but this movement that started like a few years ago, they started out with like eight churches. Now they have 10,000. They planted like a thousand last year and their goal is 2,000 this year. I'm like, yeah, yeah, the, the church is a problem, my friends. So post-Christian culture does not mean that the church is in trouble. The gospel is spreading around the globe. The church is growing and thriving around the globe. Our church is growing and thriving right here. The kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. It just happens to not revolve around us. That's all. All of this is important. All of this is important to talk about as we start this year with this instruction from the Lord, this invitation from the Lord to turn aside. The reason it's important is that we won't turn aside if we think that the cultural current we're on is riding and running in a parallel path with Jesus. Why turn aside from something that's taking me in the same general direction? Sure. 
We can't let the, the cultural current, the, the lazy river of just floating along with culture lull us to sleep and, and miss the fact that here, what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, is in radical opposition <laughs> to the very postmodern foundation of the culture we are living in. Jesus' statement here is the salmon jumping up the waterfall we're headed towards. <laughs> Not only does Jesus here in John 14 say that there is only one way, there is only one truth, there is only one life, and no one comes to the Father but through that way, that truth, and that life. Not only does he say that, which would have been radical and brutal enough, but he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am that life. And no one comes to the Father, not just through the one way, or one truth, the one life, but this one way, this one truth, this one life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We need to make sure that we're being honest not scared of anything, that's for darn sure. But we need to be honest because the fact that we're in a post-Christian culture means there was a time that there was some semblance of a Christian culture, which means there was a time where you could more easily at least a little bit float, at least a little bit float. And if we get too used to that, when the current shifts, we'll find ourselves headed towards the waterfall. G.K. Chesterton said this in, in his book, Orthodoxy. He says, of all horrible religions, the most horrible is the worship of the God within. That Jones shall worship the God within him turns out ultimately to mean that Jones shall worship Jones. This is the religion of our culture. And the first casualty of a culture where Jones worships Jones, the casualty is Jones. And which is to say that the first casualty of a postmodern culture is man. The first casualty of a postmodern culture is man. And man is quickly, quickly followed after that by woman and child. I know that this is super unpopular to say, but it's true. We've always seen through history that in a culture where man worships himself, woman and child are left to fight for themselves. In a culture where man refuses to build family, society has nothing to stand on. This is the cost of worshiping yourself. Everything. Men, I want to talk to you for a second. And I'm doing it on purpose with the ladies here so they can keep you accountable, and me too. <laughs> our cultural current, you and me, our cultural current is pulling us towards self, towards passivity, towards compromise, towards sit down and just wallow in your irreparable toxicity and step back. All of this is 
radically and completely opposite to who you were called to be as a man of God. That's the bad news. The good news is, the good news is that because the cultural momentum of worship yourself, be passive, compromise, sit down, because that is so opposite of what you've been called to, you'll never have to wonder if you're headed in the right direction or not. If you have to wonder if you're fighting against the momentum of culture, you're probably not. The quickest reminder that you are in a fight is to get hit in the face. Am I right? If you're sitting there talking to somebody wondering, are we fighting? If you get hit in the face, that generally answers the question. We are for sure now in a fight. The fight is so obvious in our day. The fight is so obvious that if you don't feel like you're getting hit in the face trying to grow as the man of God you're called to be, you're probably not fighting. Would we all prefer that it wasn't a fight? Probably. <laughs> but it's not. Or, but it is a fight. It's not a lazy river. So, men... You can whine about it being a fight, or you can fight it. Turn aside. Turn aside from the current. Fight to be a man of sacrifice. Fight to be a man of purity. Fight to be a man of integrity. Fight to be a man that stands and establishes the things of the kingdom of God. Fight. Fight. The question of this moment, church, is not, is God near? The question. The question of the moment is, will you turn aside? Will you turn aside? If you will turn aside, you will hear him speak. If you don't turn aside, don't blame God when you go off the waterfall. I was really encouraged last week and over this last week, uh, so much encouraging things hearing from, man, what God was speaking last week. And um, I told our staff this morning, this is, our, this is our fifth new year as a church, our fifth time rounding the corner from December 31st to January 1st. And every year we start off the year saying, God, what are you speaking for us for, for our year? And every year we've entered a, we've entered a year with, with some clarity on what we think God's speaking. And there's loads of tests. I mean, it's been so cool. It's been so awesome to look back and see how God used those words to direct us and clarify things. And man, so many cool stories. This year, I'm like really excited because I, it seems that we've, we've never collectively been so much in sync. What I mean by that is I would say personally, uh, even looking over the last five years, I've, I've never felt this clear about what God's speaking. I've always felt like pretty clear, but never this clear. Like, wow, this is the word of the Lord for us. And I've honestly, I've never felt so clear on like, not only is this is the word of the Lord, but I feel super clear on how he wants to talk to us about it going forward, which as a preacher, it's just like, what a relief. <laughs> so there's that. That's really exciting. Third, y'all are hungry for this. I mean, did you like, 
for everybody who went to life group last week, I just heard so many things this last week of like, you know, people basically saying like, man, I needed that. And then I started getting around the rest of us. And I was like, wow, we all are like, this is the word of the Lord. We want it. Uh, so much repentance happening, so much turning up, so many cool things happening. This combination of like God speaking, I think, or we're hearing him as clear as we've ever heard him. And we're as hungry in unity as we've ever been. That's awesome. Makes me think of the parable of the sower, you know? We've got, we, we've got like the golden seed and the golden soil, you know? And I'm like, oh my gosh, God, that's so fun. But it puts the fear of the Lord on me. And I hope it puts the fear of the Lord on you too. What I mean is, oh my gosh, God, please help me steward this well. It, it, help me get the most out of this. <laughs> It doesn't always sync up like this. I've been so encouraged. I've been encouraged this week by that. Um, that's, that's been really fun to hear um, this, the word turn, turn aside. But the truth is like turn aside isn't really a word. It's two words, as you noticed. Um, and in, in a lot of ways, turn aside is more of a definition than it is a word. And it's way more easy to get excited about the definition turn aside than the word it defines, which is repent. <laughs> All we're talking about is repentance. A.W. <laughs> Tozer said, I believe the time is coming when we will not be able to take our Christianity as casually as we do now. He said that a while ago, before this stuff really picked up even more momentum, and I believe this time is now. What that means is that Lazy River Christianity is a Christianity without repentance. Casual Christianity is a Christianity without repentance. Our culture, our postmodern culture, really likes cozy postmodern Jesus. He's super quotable. He totally agrees with me politically. He's got this like really chill guru vibe to him. He's making sure that I get what I want in my life you know that you know that Jesus, the one that's not in the Bible? <laughs> Our culture does not like John 14, 6, Jesus. <laughs> um, bloody and on a cross because of your sin, Jesus. Repent or perish. Sheep and the goats. Brood of vipers. Parable of the talents. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know that, Jesus, the one in the Bible? I used to think that we don't like talking about repentance because we don't like being wrong. We, we don't generally like talking about repentance. I've always wondered, why, why don't we like that? And my thing, yeah, I hate being wrong. I don't really know many people who like being wrong. Maybe you know some humble people who are willing to be wrong, but like, I don't like it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Being wrong stinks. And I hate being wrong. But I think we can all, if we're just honest with ourselves, we can all sort of accept the fact that like, we know we're wrong about some stuff. You know, and we, somehow we have this, we have this, want this, these two things at the same time. We don't like being wrong, but we don't think we're perfect. Like, we know that. 
You know what I'm saying? That's why we hate people who think they're perfect. So we know we're not superheroes, but we still don't like to be wrong. So we don't like to be wrong, but I think we can accept that we're wrong because really we have accepted we're wrong. We just don't want to talk about that we're wrong, right? So, okay, then what's the gap? What's still the gap? If it's not, I'm not willing to be wrong, so I'm not willing to repent. What, what's still the gap? What's the gap that we don't step into, the gap between accepting I'm wrong and walking in repentance? What's the gap between, no, I know I'm not perfect, and I repent? What, 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 what is that? And I've been thinking about that and observing, really, what happened last year and now what has happened over the last week. I'm starting to wonder if maybe the reason it's so hard for us to go from I'm not perfect to I'm repent is because we instinctively know that true repentance costs us our right to complain about everybody else. True repentance costs us our right to complain about everybody else. True repentance has a cost. And the price of repentance is higher than just admitting you're wrong. The price of true repentance is my right to complain about others, my right to judge others, my right to blame others. Repentance requires sitting still while Jesus examines me and learning how to respond to the things he points out. Why would I do that <laughs> instead of just floating down the river? <laughs> Why, why would I do that instead of just floating down the cultural river of admitting I'm wrong, but still being able to complain about how everybody else is more wrong? Why would I do that when I can just float down the river of admitting I'm not perfect, but I'm still a little bit more perfect than everybody else? I'm to blame for maybe like a couple of things, but they are more to blame for more things. Why would I repent when I can do that? <laughs> Here's how a repentant Christian reads his or her Bible. James chapter one, verse 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres. Why would I want to read my Bible if it means I need to persevere? I shouldn't have to persevere reading my Bible. <laughs> but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. One who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty 
than the law that requires perseverance. <laughs> okay. Reading your Bible is you looking intently into a mirror through which God examines you. It is not a magnifying glass through which you examine everybody else. You know when you take out your phone to take a picture and it's the perfect moment and you gotta hurry because of the sunset or the kids or your hair, it's just like, now's the moment. <laughs> you know when you take out your, your phone and, and, uh, and you, go to, you, you swipe it open and the camera's facing you? <laughs> You know, you're like, oh, I got a kitchen. You're like, ah! <laughs> and you got to turn it around real quick. <laughs> That's what I'm praying for you for this year with your Bible. <laughs> I'm praying for us this year that we will stop picking up our Bibles and pointing it at everybody else. Oh, hold on. You need to do it. You need to go a little bit more that way. Oh, no, no, no. no. Oh, no. Do it a little bit less that way. No, here. No. Oh, hold on. Ah, no, let's let I'm going to put you over here in this spot in my life. Let less of that and more of, oh, dang, I need a bath. <laughs> see that <laughs> that's what I'm praying for you if you don't feel that at church either I'm not doing my job or you're not listening this should mess with you this should poke you this should offend you not because God wants to fight with you but because God wants you to fight he wants you to fight and he will in his graciousness poke you till you wake up <laughs> because the waterfall is coming. What if the dissatisfaction you're feeling is not that God isn't enough for you, it's that not enough of you is for God. It's time to turn aside from questioning God so much and start letting God question you. All of this could sound like it takes something really new and radical to live this stuff out, but we actually don't need to do anything new. We don't even really need to do anything that radical. All we need to do is repent. All we have to do is turn around, turn aside, and be committed to living as a disciple of Jesus. That's all this takes. That's all this takes. Before the turn of the year, we went over our five values as a church, the five values that we see in scripture for living as a disciple of Jesus. Five values of a disciple. These aren't churchy activities. These are things that teach you how to swim. These are things that strengthen you for the fight. That's what these are. These are not my idea. These are not an Antioch thing. This is just what's in the Bible for normal disciples of Jesus. Not the crazy radical ones. We don't not some new fangled 2021, we need a new word from God. 
This is what it takes. This is the stuff that it takes to follow Jesus. If you want to swim against the current that is leading you away from Jesus, you have to be committed to living out these five things. All five of them, plain and simple. These things are how you turn aside and follow Jesus in a post-Christian, post-modern culture. If that's what you want to do, here it is. For everybody online, the numbers are coming up on your screen. You can text that number and get this document if that's what you want to do. We're going to close right here. That's it. This thing, it's got these five values. It'll help you have a conversation with Jesus. It'll be really helpful if you also have the conversation with some other people, kind of help listen. You might need to follow Jesus, make the decision to follow Jesus right now. Maybe you've been, deci- you've been following Jesus as a disciple for 50 years. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. We can, we, we can all do these things. We all have to do these things, and none of us ever graduate from these things. This is not for the, the new believer who's less mature than you. This is for the Moses who has now seen the burning bush, who is waking up to the fact that the culture has been pulling me in the wrong direction for too long, and the waterfall is coming. The waterfall is here, and if I don't start swimming, I want you to go ahead and stand as we worship this morning. And as we worship, I'm inviting you to turn aside. Turn aside violently, not because you're violent, but because that's what it takes to swim against the current. (laughs) I want you to turn aside and I wanna invite you as we worship. We're gonna have some of our prayer team up here if you need prayer for anything in your life, but I wanna invite you to come up and grab one of these sheets of paper. Maybe you did it before the end of the year and you need to pull it back out again because we all know how New Year's resolutions go. I mean, it's January 10th. We've all failed by now anyways. But I'm being dead serious. I love you too much to let this be a thing that I suggest because I'm scared that you might think I'm saying, I found the way, Antioch found the way. I don't care. This is the way because it's what the Bible says. You need to live out these five things. You need to sit down. You need to have honest conversation with Jesus about your life. And you need to let him point out anywhere that you're floating, not because he's mad at you for floating, but because he loves you enough to point you towards himself so that you can find the way, so that you can find the truth, so that you can find the life, so that you might come to the father through him. That's why he wants to sit down with you and have this conversation. We have to decide. We have to decide if we want to be Christians or not. If we're going to fight to follow Jesus or if we're just going to float with the culture. Is Jesus the way or not? Is Jesus the truth or not? Is Jesus the life or not? Float or fight? Either way, you've got to make your decision. My vote is we fight together. One step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, one surrender at a time, one repentant choice at a time, one lesson at a time, one response to his voice at a time. That's my vote.
I'm gonna pray for us as our prayer team comes on up. And I invite you to turn aside to Jesus. Lord, we love you and we do worship you. And we make the declaration right now, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. Come and wake us up, poke us, prod us, do whatever it takes to wake us up so that we might swim. And Lord, we wanna be a people dedicated to living out these things that you've lined out for us so that we can not only know you, but see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We worship you, we celebrate you in Jesus' name. Thank you.